Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Scott Wurzbacher. And today we're going to talk about how a lifelong willingness to listen to the voice that calls us to adventure can lead to fulfillment for the individual and a depth of wisdom that can be passed on to others. Our guest today is Randy Beard from Asheville, North Carolina. Randy and I first became acquainted several years ago in the real estate business, sharing client referrals between Charlotte and Asheville. But it wasn't until very recently that Randy and I had a deeper conversation, and I quickly came to know her as a person that has lived an incredible lifetime full of adventure and travel all over the world. From backpacking trips to South America, Nepal, and India, to teaching whitewater kayaking in North Carolina, to corporate travel planning and execution in places like Australia, China, Europe, Canada, Hawaii, and more. What struck me most about our deeper conversation was the way she's allowed herself to be guided by life, never afraid to pivot and follow her instincts, and the incredibly profound wisdom that seems to come out of that willingness to embrace life freely. On this episode, it's that wisdom that I'm looking forward to diving deeper on, and I am so excited. Randy, welcome to the campfire. Thank you for having me. <laughs> That's quite the intro. <laughs> I'm like, who is he talking about? <laughs> I am so excited. Well, let's talk about let's talk about who I'm talking about. Um, you have lived this a uh, life of variety. Um, there's there's yes. a lot to what you've experienced. So I'm curious when you meet somebody for the first time, how would you introduce yourself? I would say, hi, I'm Randy. Uh, I typically wait for them to tell me about themselves. <laughs> I don't really adhere to many labels. Uh, I just feel like that we're such multifaceted people. For me personally, I feel like labels really limit me because I, I really do feel like that my essence is just being here. Like I wake up every day and I'm inspired to be alive, but I wouldn't say that I was one thing or the other, you know, it's, you know, I am a mom, I'm a wife, I'm all those things, but you know, those don't define me. And this is the essence of what we're going to talk about today, because <laughs> one of the things we're going to talk about is, is boundaries. And I love that you said labels limit me. And so, you know, we're going to get into that a little bit. This, I feel like this episode is probably going to be a little different than other episodes. You know, on, on this podcast, we talk about the voice that calls us to adventure and then uh, many of our guests are sharing specific experiences. But again, what, what struck me about you, Randy, is just like the, the, the broadness. I mean, it's kind of a lifelong journey. And so I, I thought maybe what I would do is just we could kind of start by just for the context of the listeners, just sort of recapping some of these so-called, I guess, external experiences that you've gone through, but then spend most of uh, our time together just kind of talking about some of the lessons learned that have come out of them. So maybe you can help me. You grew up in, in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. I did. Yes. Yeah. Went to University of Kentucky um, on your own dime, you mentioned. On my own dime. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I was um, born and raised in Louisville, 
I'm from a large family. I have lots of siblings. And uh, my parents went through a really horrible divorce when I was in second grade. You know, that probably really affected me in a way where, you know, I didn't really get along with my mom growing up. She was a really um, tough woman, but it gave me my voice. I was the outspoken one. I'm the oldest girl. So I was the one that kind of fought for everybody. But, you know, it's, it's interesting to me because I remember being really young. Like our first fight was on my portrait when I was four years old and she wanted me to wear this dress. And I am like, I am not wearing that dress. And it was like, it was a battle. And I just remember feeling so empowered that I had an opinion. She knocked me around a little bit, you know, and I had to wear that dress. But I just remember being like, I am, you know, as soon as I'm on my own, I'm going to be on my own, like making my own decisions. Oh, yeah. So on your own. So um, a couple of years into college, you decided, I'll let you talk about this, but to go on a three-month backpacking trip to Brazil. So left college after year two? So I was 17 when I went to college and I really went to college to get out of the house. I just was, I didn't really know what else I was going to do. My mom never mentioned college to me. Um, I had gotten help from some counselors at high school. I was a pretty good student and decided to pay for it myself, which is why I stayed in state. Um, And I really just went to college and just started partying. And I I was just, I was free. I was like, I am just, you know, this is what living is all about. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I, I, I attended class, but I really wasn't doing well. And, and spiritually, I just felt broken. Um, I had had all this stuff harbored inside of me from really being a survivor. Like I felt like I survived a lot of my childhood, um, just wasn't doing well in college. And so I decided, you know, if I don't know what I'm doing, then I need to just stop until I figure out what I'm doing. And that led to me getting sober. So there was, um, I was working in a law office. I was going to be pre-law and, you know, I pretty much was, I worked three jobs to get myself through college. And, um, so I decided to get sober and, you know, I come from a family where we have addiction in our family and my dad had already gotten sober. And I just remember I woke up one morning and I was like, this is going to interfere with my life and, um, went to an AA meeting and really never looked back. I just, I mean, I've been sober 33 years, which is kind of hard to imagine. (laughs) But it's also amazing that this, this happened like two years into college. It did. I was really young to get sober. I remember sitting in uh, my first AA meeting and it was like me and a bunch of old people. And I just was like, what do you all do for fun? (laughs) You know, but what I do remember seeing is there were two things that happened in that meeting for me that were really pivotal in my life. One was it was the first time in my life, other than from my grandmother, that I felt unconditional love. Mm. I just walked in and I just felt this unconditional love. Nobody knew my last name. Nobody knew my upbringing. You know, nobody was judging me for what shoes I had on. They just welcomed me. And then the second thing I noticed was 
they all seem to be somewhat peaceful and content. And I just was like, this is what I want. Like, I just remember I went to that first meeting. I got a big book. I got a sponsor and I started counseling and I'm like, I'm in. And, and that was just really powerful for me. I was just like, and I remember my first sponsor said to me, and she, I just chose the oldest woman in the room. Cause I was like, well, she's probably got to figure it out. So nice. yeah, I was like, you know, she's, and she just said, you know, the one thing that nobody can take away from you ever is your sobriety. And that was interesting to me on a much different level because I was like, you know, growing up, I felt like my mom, especially always was trying to limit me. She was punishing me. She was, you know, I was very rebellious in nature. And so I remember thinking like, oh, this is my own. Like, this is something I can control. Yeah. And it just felt amazing. And then I started counseling and I, I had a lot of years of emotion just pinned up. I remember when I went to that meeting, I also felt like these are my people. Like, which is kind of weird because I was 22 and they were so old, but I'm like, yeah. oh my God, they're talking about like all yeah. this stuff. This is great. And, um, and I started counseling and I remember the counselor said to me, maybe would you consider taking a six month break from your mom? And I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) And she was like, just writing her a letter saying you're working on yourself and you just would like to not have any contact for six months. And I'm like, is that an option? Like, is that an option? Can I do that? And I, I realized right then, yeah, I can do this, you know? And that was really, for me, formidable in boundaries. I took that and I said, wow, this is my journey. And just because a cultural norm, oh, I don't have to participate. I can take breaks. I can take care of, it just for me was so life-changing. Yeah. It's super insightful because we're going to talk about boundaries a little bit um, on this call. And so, you know, I appreciate you sharing that because you and I had a really long talk a couple of weeks ago and I, we didn't touch on that. And so that, that connects a lot of dots. That's, yeah. that's pretty cool. I'm curious, um, when you decided to get sober, you said that you woke up one day and decided that this, you said like, this is just going to get in the way of my life. I'm just curious if you can talk about that. Cause at 22, I mean, most like, you know, two years into college, like most people aren't going to be you know, that advanced, this is going to get in, in the way of life. Yeah. Um, I had, when I was 16, I went to, um, my brother was in treatment. He's a year older than me, um, okay. at Hazleton. And I went there for a family week and I remember thinking, Hmm, okay, well I can, ch-. they give you the, like, these little tests like, Oh, I could check this box. I could check this box. I'm like, hmm, maybe I have a problem. But I really didn't at that time, you know, but I was like, oh, this sounds good. And then my sister went to um, the Meadows and she uh, went for her family week. And, you know, again, just these insights. And then my stepmom, my dad had gotten sober. He went to the Betty Ford Center as an outpatient. So, you know, at at around 17, 18, 
I started having all these experiences with recovery in a very indirect way. And then I was like, well, I'm not, you know, I don't really think, I think I can control it. And, you know, and then when I got to college, it was really like, you know, and again, I mean, I was holding down three jobs. It wasn't like I was drinking every day or partying every day, but, but when I did, I was like, I mean, I could drink anybody under the table. I was like, I thought blackouts were normal, you know? Yeah. So, but I knew like, it was just this thing inside of me where I was like, this is going to be a problem. The very last drunk that I had, I was actually working a banqueting event with this guy that was like 40 years old that was sober. He decided to drink that night. I just remember him saying, oh, I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to. And I sat there thinking, okay, I'm 22. And if I keep doing this, then that's what my life's going to look like. And I just felt like I was like, I'll never reach my potentials. And it was never like potential. It was potential. It's like, I didn't like, I have so much to give in this life. So, and I just kept drinking that night and kept drinking. And then I woke up the next morning and I missed my boyfriend's tennis match. And I picked up the phone and I called a friend of mine that was in recovery at Hazleton with my brother that lived in my college town. And I said, when's the next meeting? He's like 30 minutes. Can I come get you? And I'm like, wow. yep. And that wow. was it. And he and I still keep in touch. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate that story so much. Yeah. It, that's yeah. awesome. And then, uh, I mean, there's so much in that that we can talk about. So one of the next things that happens in your life is you end up going on this three month backpacking trip in Brazil. Yeah. So I was sober for five months. They say, don't make any big changes in, um, you know, the first year of sobriety. So I had dropped out of college. I was still working. I was going to meetings all the time. And then I was just like, you know, I've never traveled. I want to go travel. Like, I mean, I traveled to like, you know, my dad was a professional golfer. So I used to go on the golf tour and we traveled like that. But, but I was like, I want to go somewhere different. And so I said to my boyfriend at the time, I was like, I want to go to Brazil. And he was like, why Brazil? I'm like, I don't know. I just want to go there. And I want to go for three months. And he was like, okay, I'll go with you. And he was an attorney. He was like 10 years older than me. And so we um, made a plan to go. And I just, it's just what I wanted to do. We knew one person in Brazil was a family friend of his. And uh, he lived in the Amazon And so we flew there and as fate would have it, he was an alcoholic Mm. and he drank nonstop. And I just remember thinking, this is the biggest mistake I've ever made. And, you know, I mean, I'm five months sober, so I was feeling really good, but, you know, I was also young. And so I was like, oh my gosh, this is not going to work out. And so I remember calling my dad. I had to walk into town to call my dad and I was just crying and I'm like, this is terrible. This guy's an alcoholic. I don't feel good. And he said, go back and write a hundred things about a hundred things that you love about yourself. Wow. And I was like, I mean, it took me three days. He goes, and then fly down to see that waterfall that you wanted to see, which was fogged. It was Sue. So, okay. So I told my boyfriend, I said, I'm going to fly down there with or without you. And he was like, well, I'll go. (laughs) I was like, okay. And then we went down and I remember we were walking along and I was so excited to see this waterfall because part of being sober 
it allowed me to trust myself. Every day that a person stays sober, there's that trust that, oh, I, I can do this. Like, oh, and if I can do this, then what else can I do? Yeah. And so I was walking along this trail and there was nobody on this trail. And then I saw this one guy that was just kind of standing there. And I just noticed he had a medallion on his chest and it was the serenity prayer. And I just went up to him and I was like, are you sober? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, as I would, you know, <laughs> I have no filter. So I was yeah. like, are you sober? And he's like, I am. And he was like, I have, it was like, I can't remember the years, but it was like 20 years, you know, six months and like 38 hours. I mean, like he knew. To the, yep. And so I just said, oh my God. And he's like, are you sober? And I'm like, I'm newly sober. And he's like, do you want to have a meeting? And I was like, and I just started crying. I was like, yeah. but right there, I knew like, I'm good. Like the universe is taking care of me higher power of God or whatever you want to call it. It was like, I just knew that if I would just continue to pay attention to that inner voice, it's going to always guide me. And it always has. Hey everyone, it's Scott here. This podcast is a passion project for me because I absolutely love adventure. And it's thanks to the effort of my residential real estate team here in Charlotte, North Carolina, that many of you know as the W Realty Group, that this podcast gets funded. This awesome group of people have unmatched levels of competence and caring for our clients. If you know of anyone looking to buy or sell a home, our team serves the Charlotte, North Carolina market, but we can also help you find an agent anywhere throughout the US or Canada through our highly connected network. When you support our real estate business, you are also supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening and thanks for your referrals. Well, and I, if I remember correctly, when we spoke the first time, you were telling me that like when you were on your way to the falls or hiking where there, there was nobody around and this was like the only person. The only person. <laughs> it was, he was the only person. I remember he was barefoot. He had, I was like, what is that guy doing barefoot? And I was just, <laughs> you know, and he looked like he was from California, which he was, you know, it just, yeah. it's like you think about, For me, that was a spiritual awakening. That was just a spiritual awakening. I just, I don't know. I can't explain it because it it was, it was everything that I needed in that moment coming together. Well, I love this. Okay. So one thing that struck me, as you said, like being sober allows me to trust myself. And the first thing that popped in my mind is the term liquid courage, right? So, you know, (laughs) you don't need liquid courage when you can trust yourself. You know, and that's a, that's a beautiful thing. Um, So you come back from Brazil, you finish school and then you're off to Nepal and India. So um, when I came back, I decided to finish college because I just felt like for me, I, if I, if I didn't finish, I'd always wonder. And I switched my major to cultural anthropology from journalism. Um, And so that was really great. And then in the meantime, in the summer, I was teaching whitewater kayaking at the Nana Hill Outdoor Center, and that was really fun. And then I graduated college, and I decided that I just wanted to travel. So I wanted to go to Nepal, and I wanted to go to India. And um, I remember telling my dad that that's what I wanted to do, and he just was like, I can't understand that. But but he was like, okay. And so 
I went and by myself and, you know, I remember being on the plane thinking, what am I doing? (laughs) But then I was like, well, I'm just going to go. It'll be an adventure. So I ended up getting there and I, I just, I don't know, everything fell into place. I mean, it was just an amazing trip and I did different treks and I met a lot of different travelers and but this was solo. This this trip to solo. Nepal and India was solo. And how yeah. long were you there? Three months. Three months solo yeah. in Nepal and India. Solo. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was pretty crazy. Uh but you know, I also felt like for me, I was like, if I can do this and take care of myself, you know. I mean, there's something about I for me walking into that dark tunnel and just facing those fears. Um, and I was, I was afraid. I was like, you know, I'm a single woman and, you know, but I just knew that I couldn't not do it. You knew, oh, that's big. You knew that you couldn't not do it. Can you talk about that? There was a call inside of me that, you know, for me, I've always felt like, like this world is massive and, Mm -hmm. and I just want to know part, I just want to know as much as I can. Like I am, I, I just am a consummate learner of cultures, of people. Um, and I think some of my background in recovery has helped with that. You know, you walk into a room, nobody knows each other's last name. You're from all different walks, you know, and there's just this commonality that is just so wonderful. And I think I just wanted to experience more of that in the world. Yeah. I mean, I think like that's, I think that's one of the biggest reasons why I love travel. I mean, it's all exploration, but it's just like this opening up of awareness, like to learn how different cultures live. And, you know, I mean, when you're doing it solo, you, you do develop that, that real self-trust. But for me, it's the, it's the self-awareness. And I just look at, you know, this trip to Nepal and India, and then, you know, not, not to gloss through like the rest of your life up to this point, but I mean, (laughs) You know, you then you came back and you've lived all over the place. You've lived in Asheville and North Carolina and California and uh, Atlanta. And you did, I think you did 10 years or maybe 15 years of corporate travel, traveling all yeah. over the world. Yeah. Um, just, and you know, wife, mom, and now like real estate <laughs> investor and real estate broker, just like so much life experience um, all wrapped in. And it just seems like, you know, you got started very young and figured out a lot of things very young. And I think that's where like, you, you know, because you started young and exposed yourself to these cultures, like this is where some of this self-awareness and this wisdom is beginning to come from. So I have some questions for you about that. And it's really just things that kind of struck me when we talked the first time, but the, the, the very first thing that struck me was just sort of your, your views, the way that you talk about boundaries. And I wonder if like we could just have a conversation about boundaries. Well, I think for me, um, you know, boundaries for me are, are always developing and, you know, and I'm always working on boundaries um, and learning about them. For me, I think one of the things, you know, whether it's in business or in a relationship, you know, I'm always trying to ask myself questions like what is my motive? So I think when you and I had talked before, we were talking about my son, who I'm super close with, and Mm -hmm. um, he's 18, he's a tattoo artist, and um, 
we've you know been through a lot of things um, together, and and I think one of the things we had talked about was you know my boundary with him mm-hmm. and holding space for me. I think the word boundary is if I'm not invited, then I'm not going to say anything. And I think for me, what I really um, am aware of with my own self is it's not my job to fix. It's not my job to cross lanes. So I just try to stay in my lane in on my side of the street and hold space. The gift for me in a boundary is that I'm present. So I think that there are boundaries, you know, growing up, my boundary was much different. It was like anger is my armor. It was more of an armor. As I've developed as a person and, you know, learned more about, you know, just how I want to be internally with, you know, love and compassion, holding a boundary for me is more like, it's like a soft bubble. You know, it's like a, a really soft boundary, but I still don't cross over. You know, if somebody comes to me and they need to talk about something, my boundary is they know I'm available, but I'm not going to try to fix them. I'm not going to try to make it better. You know, if they want my opinion, I'm obviously going to, you know, help participate. And I think that's really hard. I think that's really, you know, difficult for a lot of people is because they don't feel like they're doing anything. And really, to me, it's the greatest gift we can give another human being is just to be present with them, you know, because even with the boundary, they feel that love. They can feel that compassion. They feel the trust. But, you know, a lot of times all they're wanting is just to be heard. Yeah. You know, and and that for me has just been, you know, I mean, maybe that's my next chapter is, you know, (laughs) Helping people with boundaries and, you know, collaborating with you, you know, but really, I mean, it is, it's a gift. And I think it's something for me that's, um, I'm aware of it all the time. It is a gift. There's no question. I mean, I think there is like, I think a lot of us, myself included for sure, have that tendency to want to fix, to want to give advice. You know, I know I'm there. Or it could be the need, you know, when I, when I said asking myself, um, questions, you know, sometimes I'll have feelings of like, it'll be ego and I'll be like, well, I want to be right. So I always ask myself if I, ha- and I can sense those inside of me. It's like, you know, just that, Ugh, and it's like, oh, that's ego. I just want to be right. So you know what? Don't say anything. Hmm. Did you develop that or has that always been with you? Oh, I've developed it. <laughs> yeah. you, you, you no. felt it. Like you sense that when that, when the ego pops up and says, am I, you know, yeah. you, you're able to check yourself. I'm able to check myself all the time. Yeah. I feel like it's my responsibility. I feel like that it's, you know, something that um, if I want to be the best version of myself, then it's important for me to check myself, you know, and, and, and I want to have a really good community around me, you know? And so I just, it, I really enjoy being able to always work on myself in a way to where 
I don't know. I mean, I like myself. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I'm really content and happy with myself. Yeah. You know, I remember I did counseling one time and I was about seven years sober and I felt really kind of dead inside. And I said to my dad, I'm like, I kind of feel dead. And he's like, well, you need to get clear on your life. And I was like, okay. He's like, I'll give you two days. And I'm like, okay. And I remember thinking about my life and saying, you know, I want to find a place where I can be right where I feel at home. I want to maybe find a partner to walk my life with maybe. And, but I knew that I wanted an eclectic lifestyle that has become the thing that resonates the most with me is being able to be multifaceted, but also being able to see all different walks of life, you know, and all different sorts of people. Um, I mean, I feel comfortable in a lot of different situations, but I'm comfortable with myself. Like I have boundaries with myself and that's important to me. So like when we talk about boundaries, I think, again, like the first time that we talked, I think, you know, I've always kind of thought about boundaries as sort of this hard line, like you just don't cross mm -hmm. this. But that was the thing that was so like intriguing to me was the way that you describe boundaries. It's it's there's not a hard line and it's not like you're putting up this wall that says don't cross this line. And I feel like that's kind of the I think that's and maybe it's just me, but that that seems more to be sort of the the common belief of what boundaries is. And you just you bring this softness to it. Typically, I think that word brings up, you know, if you think of a boundary, you probably think of a fence, something that something that keeps something out. Um, I look at a boundary as something that's just healthy and allows something in. Um, for me, it's it really is um, about checking my motives all the time, you know, and it's it is it's about check. Boundaries for me are about just being in the world and checking my own self and not crossing over into other people's lanes. You know, I just I remember hearing early on, it was like, if you're thinking about somebody else, like their issues, then you're looking in the wrong mirror. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah. And, and I believe that it's like everything reflects back to me. So you, you talked when we spoke last, you said to me, if I allow myself to become intermeshed, then there is no boundary. And I just mm -hmm. like that concept of becoming intermeshed. Like what, what is that? Yeah. And that, that can happen. I mean, I am, you know, I'm con um, I mean, a perfect example of that would be, you know, a child parent, you know, when I was going through a hard time with, um, my son was going through a hard time. And of course, mm -hmm. being a parent, you know, there was that feeling of like, oh, I got to make this, you know, I, it's almost like I had to really get to a place where like, I mean, I went back to counseling because I was like, I need to really work on this boundary. A lot of times it'll come from a good place of really wanting to help, but it's not allowing that other person to go through their experience. And I think that's, for me, one of those things that I try to really focus on is, and especially as a parent, if somebody is going through something, I can't change it. Mm -hmm. I can just be there for them. My instinct with a child is to want to make it all better. But that's really taking something away from their experience. 
I mean, all of my failures, I didn't have really people that caught me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just kept failing, but they got me to where I needed to be. And I feel like, you know, as we become more aware as people, and especially with me as I've become more aware, I think, oh, well, he doesn't have to go through a hard time. I can, I can. And then I was like, wait a minute. That's his experience. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I mean by intermesh is really biting my tongue and just sitting back and allowing that pain or whatever it is that to happen and just holding the space, like him knowing that I'm there for him. Yeah. Like him really understanding he's loved, he's safe, but allowing him to go through what he needs to go through. And you're not trying to take it away, essentially. Mm -mm. No, no. And that's really, it's hard, you know, because then there's, you know, you go down stairs and, you know, you call your sister. You're like, oh my God, this is so hard. You cry, you know, it's like, I mean, I have to like, let it out. I'm human, you know? Right. Right. But for me, it's really honoring the process of another human being. Yes. Cause it's, it's, it's a process for all of us. So I want to like, I want to bring this. So, so this applies in marriage as well. You talked about your relationship with your son, but you, you quoted, um, I think it's Rilke. Um, but this was a great quote that you gave me and I, uh, I just love it. I wonder if you could talk about this, like as this whole topic relates to marriage, the quote is the point of marriage is not to create a quick commonality by tearing down all boundaries. On the contrary, a good marriage is one in which each partner appoints the other to be the guardian of his solitude and thus show each other the greatest possible trust. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's, that's very similar, you know, it's very similar to what we're talking about. Um, when I was living in California, um, had married four different couples. Um, my friend and I had done like a mail away ministry thing or whatever, but cool. yeah. and, then, and then I was working at this high end, like, you know, events, bed and breakfast. And so I ended up marrying these four couples. And one of the first couples I married said, Hey, can you just choose something to say for us? And I was sitting there thinking like, wow. And I, I came across that quote by Rumi and I love, I, I love his work anyway, but, but it was the first thing that really resonated with me. It resonated with me in that that's what a marriage for me would be like. It's, it's not two people coming together and like intermeshing, yeah. you know, you're your own people. I mean, that's what you fell in love with. I mean, you know, that's, that, that's the, I think with any relationship, it's like when you meet somebody, it's like, you know, that's what they have their own life. And even though you create memories or whatever, if you lose sight of who you are, then that just seems to be, you know, when things start to go awry. So I really felt like that it's, it, I just feel like we're all here on our own journeys and, you know, if we come together in a marriage, then, you know, yes, I'd want that person to be the guardian of my solitude, but that doesn't mean I'm going to stop growing and, you know, stop seeking and just, you know, being the person that I am. Yeah. It's about helping each other become 
the guardian the solitude is becoming like you know allowing each other to be the best versions of themselves exactly yeah yeah, yeah. and that's yeah, that's just sort of my belief on marriage, though. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. I really, I really enjoyed that. So, so here's what's kind of fun about this: is are we talking about boundaries? But uh, at the same time, we, um, you and I spoke about the Enneagram, and I don't. Some of my listeners might not be familiar with the Enneagram, but it's a uh, you know a really deep um, personality typing uh, tool and. We won't get into that. Maybe another episode, but um, but your type came back as the Enneagram number seven, which is also mm -hmm. called the Adventurer. And I think what's so fun about that is that um, in that personality type, the Adventurer, um, one of the key traits of a typical Enneagram seven is sort of um, not wanting to be limited. Yeah. <laughs> I just think it's so interesting that, you know, somebody that doesn't want to be like, you know, limited in life, doesn't want to be uh, constrained by boundaries, has such a healthy attitude on boundaries. I just was wondering, <laughs> like, it seems paradoxical, but they it plays together. I was just curious if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think for me, it's, I have a very wanderlust spirit. Um, you know, I just, it, it, it's just the way I'm, I'm made up, you know, it's like, I just, I don't like to be tied down. I don't like to be boxed in. It's, it would be really hard for me to work an eight to five job. You know, I just, um, you know, I just like to have all this freedom, but at the same time, I think boundaries are really things that I trust and, you know, and, and they give me the ability to, in some ways, you know, just because you have a wanderlust spirit or, you know, it, doesn't mean that you don't want to control things around you. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's the paradox, whether it's in business, I, I feel like in business, I've always had a lot of boundaries. Um, if I didn't want to work with somebody, I just wouldn't work with them. You know, I, if I, I do that in my social, you know, stratosphere, it's like, if I don't want to do something, you know, no is a complete answer. But yet I do have sort of that adventure, you know, freedom, uh, you know, I mean, all of that excites me, like everything excites me about that. Yeah. But the personal boundaries for me are really what's important. It's knowing myself and really um, not crossing over into things that I feel like I should do. And I don't do a lot of things out of obligation. Healthy boundaries. Well, it, it's funny, like for me, I think, about, I think about like, you know, I'm somebody that appreciates my own personal freedom, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I also recognize that like discipline for me brings freedom. Yeah. Like if I'm disciplined in certain things, yeah. then it creates freedom later. And so if like with too much freedom, you lose all your freedom. And it's kind of, it seems like a similar thing with the boundaries. It is. I mean, I have to have for myself boundaries. I mean, like for me, if I have a wide open day, I might have 20 things I want to do, but if I don't have a list, I won't get any of them done yeah. because it's just, I just spin and spin. I'm like, oh, I should do this. I should, yeah. And then it's just like, I don't know what to do. So I do have to have, I have to structure myself, but that's a boundary with myself. It's something I understand. You know, that if I don't have a schedule, then that's really detrimental to who I am. 
I definitely need to be structured. <laughs> I appreciate that. So Randy, I want to pivot. Um, I, there's so many things that we, we could talk forever. Um, one of the things that you said in our last conversation was that, uh, and this speaks to the voice inside that calls us to adventure, but you said intuitively in my life, I have always felt guided. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as, as people are listening to this and, and we talk about this voice inside that calls to adventure, I wonder if, like, could you talk about what that means to you intuitively in my life? I've always felt guided. I feel like, um, from a very young age, um, I, I felt like that there was a power greater than myself. And I felt like that if I listened, that I would actually hear answers. Um, and, and I still feel that way. Like there are times, there've been so many times in my life where it's like, I just know it's time to move on. You know, when I was doing my corporate meeting business, I was traveling like 250 days a year and I just, I was so burned out and I just was like, I, but I didn't know what was next, even though I knew something was next. And so I went to Esalen and, um, and I did a a workshop and, and out of that workshop, it was on leading an authentic life. I realized, wow, it's time for me to pivot. So I feel like I hear these things all the time. I mean, I'm kind of in one right now, which is a little interesting. It's like, there's so many things and I just know that it's sort of time to pivot into something else. And, and you and I've talked about that. I'm looking to go to Esalen again. And can you tell us about for people that aren't familiar with Esalen? Oh, Esalen is in California in Big Sur. Um, It's a retreat center where people come, you know, really in, Teachers come from all around the world to teach there. Uh, they offer all sorts of workshops. Uh, Jack Kerouac and Joseph Campbell used to go there. And, um, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a really spiritual place. Um, it's so serene and beautiful. But for me, I actually have to take myself out of my environment to really put together some time for clarity. Um, and so, you know, I've kind of, you know, in that period now where it's like, I just know the next chapter is going to be so great and I'm so excited, but I just have to have that clarity and sit still to listen. But the call to listen has already come and it always happens for me. It's like, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be, I just feel really guided by that. Um, There've just been so many instances in my life where just when I listen and follow it, like it just happens. So, so for people listening, like what, what is that, what is that experience like that, that listening and that, the hearing? I mean, it could be like, for instance, when I got sober, it's like that little tiny voice inside that said to me, this isn't working. Like this isn't working. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, to any addict, their nature is going to be to want to continue that, (laughs) but I, it's so strong that I just knew, you know, and when I went to Esalen before, like I was living in Atlanta and I just knew I needed to get back to the mountains. And, and that's what came out of that workshop was you need to get back to the mountains. Like you need to be back in a place of nature and, you know, and three months later I moved. I just, you know, it's not, I hear these things inside of me and, and then I'm able to act on them. Yeah. It's like, you know, transitions for me. I don't know. I just, I mean, 
know, it's hard to explain, but I feel it long before it happens. And then if I were to try to ignore it, that's actually worse because it becomes so much louder. <laughs> that's actually a good piece of advice there. Like if you don't listen and it keeps getting louder, then you probably, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's looking for attention. I have little exercises I'll do. Like I'll, a lot of times I'll write out situations. So mm -hmm. when I was living in California, I was in a pretty toxic relationship and I was in recovery, but it was just one of those where I knew if I stayed, it'd be really difficult. And so I started writing out, I'd ask myself questions like, does this make your life bigger or does it make your life smaller? Well, a lot of times we can answer that question. I mean, I could write a whole book on that. It's like, yeah. I knew that relationship made my life smaller, but that doesn't mean that it's easy to act on it. So then I, I'll go through scenarios. I always list a couple scenarios. I'd been accepted to graduate school in UC Irvine. So I was like, well, I can go to graduate school and stay here. I could stay here in the desert and just move out. I could move across country. Well, the minute you start listing options, one of them resonates with you and you usually know before, you know, and so I packed up a U-Haul and moved across country. I mean, I just knew like, because I knew the other two options would keep me in that sort of gray zone. Well, I love that question. And you said you've used it your whole life. Does this make my life bigger or does it make my life smaller? I love that. Yeah, it's, um, I have a slew of questions that I use, you know, and that help me to get clear. Yeah. But that's a really good one because, and I don't know who first said it. I know I heard it through the program somewhere too, um, in different variations, but it is, it's, you know, if something's making my life smaller and I'm still choosing it, that voice gets really loud. <laughs> I love it. Well, you you said that you heard the voice recently and you know that you the next chapter is getting ready to open up. In fact, you said to me that this whole chapter in my this whole next chapter in my life is getting ready to open up. So what what yeah. is that? What is that going to look like? You know, I I wish I knew. <laughs> I wish I had that answer. Um I don't know. I feel like I'll be, you know, it's going to involve working with people to some degree. Um, I love working with people. I love listening to people. Um, it might be, you know, in some capacity where, um, maybe it's helping people with boundaries, you know, and understanding themselves in that. Um, I think that there's probably a lot of, uh, need for that. Um, and whatever it is, I know that I'll figure it out. So, I think so. Well, I really, um, I was really impacted by your views on boundaries. I'm curious for people that are listening, that feel that way, that admire that approach to boundaries that you have. What are some things that people listening can do to start to develop that, that ability to, to have that loving, caring boundary by holding space, but not, not that hard line boundary that some of us tended to think of? I mean, for me, the hard line is, and this is just for me, but if there's a hard line, it's because your heart's not open. Mm. So if my heart's not open, like if I'm, you know, again, it's about acceptance and tolerance. Um, so, you know, it's either anger is your armor because that's the mm -hmm. hard boundary or 
It's really easy to sit with a heart open and be present and not say anything. I mean, that's probably, you know, try it for a day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it is. It's And then start asking yourself questions like, what's my motive? You know, if for a long time, I'd be like, what's my motive? And I could always say, oh, it's to fix that person. You know, somebody would be telling me something and I'd be like, oh, I could tell them what to do right now. And, you know, yeah. like I could get it all sorted for them. And, you know, it's not my job unless I'm invited. But a lot of times I'm not invited. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, when you say I'm not invited, I mean, sometimes it's explicit, sometimes it's, you know, implicit, but, you know, it's the whole thing where like, you have to be ready to receive, right? And if somebody's not ready, then yeah. it's not your place. Well, and I think sometimes for me, I've just learned just to listen rather than thinking ahead. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, pretty skinny minute on a lot of things, you know? So, I mean, I own that website, skinny minute coaching. So I've thought about yeah, nice. starting that and just being like, skinny Hey, minute. snap I love out it. of it. <laughs> I love it. Well, that's fantastic. If people want to learn more about you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I guess right now it would be to reach out through Instagram. Uh, cool. Randy Beard real estate is where I am. Um, yeah. I'm sure I'll have more platform for platforms coming, but uh, for right awesome. now, yeah. And yeah. anybody looking to, to, to make a move to Asheville, they need to be talking to you. Um, cause you're always <laughs> very, very caring and very professional with anybody that, uh, that I've worked with that's come your way. So, oh, um, well, but that said sweet. with this, this whole, uh, this whole life of, you know, going through college and getting sober and then all of this world travel and, you know, we didn't even get into the corporate planning experiences and some of the other things that you've had going on, but like, I am a hundred percent sure that at some point Hollywood is going to pick up on your story. <laughs> <laughs> and when they do, I want to know who's going to be the Hollywood actress that's going to play you in your movie. Probably Jim Carrey. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> Love it. I mean, for some reason, I, I, I don't know. It's just that that's what comes to mind. I don't know. He just, I don't know. <laughs> I, love it. I, I think he could pull it off. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. right there. What's your movie going to yeah. be called? I'm not famous, but I'm successful. I'm not famous, but I'm successful. Starring Jim Carrey. I love <laughs> it. I'm going to go see this movie. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> well, Randy, I so appreciate you spending some time with me today here with the listeners. I appreciate the time we spent on our last call, getting to know you. It's just the, the wisdom that you've developed over uh, this lifetime of just adventures. Just, it's been super helpful to me, and I hope it's been helpful to listeners. And for those listening, I hope you've been inspired today as much as I have. I hope Randy's story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or just need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word or leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thank you for listening. Randy, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been fun.